Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode five of the Dissident Film Club. My name is Keaton Weiss, and I am here once again with Russell Dobular. Hello! So today we are going to talk about the controversial new thriller called The Hunt. Several people have obviously heard about this movie back when it was slated to come out, and then the release was pulled. Um, I believe the release may have even been pulled twice, because wasn't it first the objection was that it took place right after uh, like a mass shooting and was thought to be too it, violent? It, well, it, it took place after two. It's a, it's a sad statement on, on these here United States that we don't think about the second one because the first one got all the, got all the press and was so relatively horrific. That it was it, it was supposed to come out right after uh, Las Vegas shooting, and then that night there was a shooting in a bar. I can't remember which state that killed eight people, but everyone forgets that one. It was the same exact day. Right. Yeah. That's so, the thing. If it's pulled so this, because of a shooting, you don't know which shooting it was. It was pulled over. Well, it was pulled because of the general atmosphere of mayhem. Right. Um. But but then. The the culture war element was kind of fascinating that it fell victim to without anyone really understanding exactly what this movie was. You know, I mean, for, first you get the, the anger, which presumably would be from the left or the fear that you'd have left backlash about the violence. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's sad because I, I really, I, I try to, I try to defend the white working class a lot, but listen, man, if anybody should have embraced this movie, that's who should have embraced this movie. And they just assumed that this movie took the liberal side or something. Like, I, I, I don't know. You know, Fox News exoriated... What did they think? Did they really, are they so paranoid that they really thought that Hollywood made a movie celebrating liberals killing deplorables? Like, did they really think that would be greenlit? It's like a battle royale, Hunger Games type of concept where these, you know, elite, wealthy Well, well, not exactly. It's It's more most dangerous game. Okay, sure. Um, But they basically round up these Trump voter types and they release them out into the woods, and then they hunt them down for fun. Um, and obviously the movie is told from the point of view of the main character, whose name is Crystal, played by Betty Gilpin, um, who fights back. So it's, it's a very simple plot, a uh, pretty simple yep. premise. And then it mm-hmm. goes places that I thought were kind of clever and fun and inventive. Uh, which we will, I guess, talk about in in a few minutes. But yeah, that's the basic premise of the movie. Yes, and without anyone having seen the movie, everyone drew conclusions about what the movie was. So Fox News really added fuel to this. They did a whole uh, segment on how horrible this was, that it was this liberal fantasy of hunting down deplorables. And I, you know, as I was saying, I mean, you've got to be really paranoid to think Hollywood would actually green light whatever their politics are, would actually green light something that celebrated going after the deplorables and killing them. <laughs> like if that were really the lens of the movie, nobody would have made that movie. Man. I, I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, everyone had an opinion about a movie that they had never seen. 
and even theoretically more responsible uh, press, like the entertainment press, uh, was piling onto that, you know, for presumably for clicks because it became a, a hot button issue. And uh, also, if you look at the people behind it, I mean, this is uh, this is Damon, Damon Lindelof, the creator of Lost, who uh, also did what I think you could make a contention may have been the most philosophically profound thing that was ever on TV, The Leftovers. Um, do you really think this guy followed that up with a movie celebrating killing the deplorables? But, you know, no, nobody really thought about that. Um, but this movie just had had the worst luck of any film of all time because when they finally did release it, the, the movie theaters were were closed down maybe a week after <laughs> after this movie yeah, actually the, the, got the theatrical come out release. On, on March 13th. Yeah, so it never actually really got a theatrical release. Now, and this is how I saw it, now you can now you can rent it. I rented it on Prime. I'm sure you could rent it on in a, in a lot of different places now. And I thought it was great. Uh, you know, also But you rented it on Prime? Mhm. You know what that makes you? A scab. I'm a why are they You I, crossed the picket I, line. You're not supposed to patronize Amazon. That's it. We're gonna have to guillotine you now. This is your last show. Is is this is this a new rule? I mean, I thought uh, a- a- Amazon Amazon is the evil that we're being forced to live with. Well, I mean, we are being forced to live with. Jeff Bezos's personal net worth has gone up seventy four billion dollars this year. Um, but that's for our main show. That's darker content. We'll do that back on the main show. But anyway. Joking, of course, about you being a scab, uh, but I bought it. I do, if I can state my moral superiority to you for a second, I I rented it on Row 8, which I had never even heard of, but it's on my Roku TV. <laughs> and okay. I did it because I didn't want to uh, buy from Amazon and also because it was it was $2 cheaper than it was on Amazon. It was $3.99 and on Amazon it was $5.99. So not only are you a scab, you're a sucker. I'll have you. I'll have you know they have. Uh, it's pretty well known that Row Eight has children in the third world bathing in celluloid juice. Oh, really? Produce those low prices. <laughs> so maybe Touché. you're the you're the scam. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard of Row Eight. Um, but. Yeah, and th- this is also produced by Bloomhouse, who you really have to give it up to them, man. When those guys hit with um, Paranormal Witness, I you think mean Paranormal Activity? Pa- paranormal Activity, that's right. Um, everyone assumed they were going to be another Blair Witch Project. Like, th- those guys just stepped into shit with Blair Witch Project, and they really didn't have the skills to follow up. They just so happened to have one brilliant idea that hit a hit a cultural nerve. And, you know, their follow-up was terrible, and everyone involved just disappeared into obscurity. So I think everyone kind of assumed that's what would happen with Bloomhouse. I, I mean, I, I've seen that movie. Um, I, I mean, I don't think it's good. I thought the Blair Witch Project was actually good at the time. 
Um, I liked Paranormal I, Activity quite a bit. It, it did. You did like it? I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually really liked the sequel. I liked the second one too. Yeah. I okay. I mean, I didn't respond to it as as something of a horror aficionado. Um, but hey, look, starting out with this movie, they made for fifteen thousand dollars, the grossed two hundred eighty three fucking million. They've built an empire. I mean, Bloomhouse is the studio behind uh, Get Out. Yeah, and, no, they're great. They're they're and, great. They're great stuff. And and this movie is really in keeping with that. You know, Bloomhouse is really, I wouldn't say single-handedly. There are some other filmmakers uh, working in this territory, but none as effectively or prolifically. Um, horror at its best has always had an underlying element of social commentary. Um, or you could say that's a subgenre of horror that's a, a cut above the rest. Um, and they've really brought that back. I mean, clearly they have a, as a production house, they have a great love of these movies like Night of the Living Dead that really were using these horror elements to comment on social tensions and social issues. Um, and, and with this and Get Out uh, of, of their work are probably the, the most out front in, uh, in that mission. Um, so in a lot of ways, it's, it's really, it's great. It's, it's, it's like slickly produced uh, features that are in the spirit of the best of 70s Grindhouse movies. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it i mean i i think get out is a much better movie than this um yes you know but i i I enjoyed this movie quite a bit it's not the kind of thing that i would like would i say this is a great film no but it's a really fun wild movie and it's very funny too um there's a ton of humor this really is more of a black comedy than anything else i mean it is it is super funny um and it really deconstructs so many sort of genre I would say tropes, cliches, like right at the beginning, like we'll get into a little bit of spoilers here since I'm assuming people who are listening to a half hour, 40 minute podcast on a movie either saw it or don't really care if much is ruined for them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and this is not even a spoiler. I mean, it'll ruin maybe one moment for you at the very beginning, which is actually a really cool moment where you see... um in the trailer, you think that the Emma Roberts character from the trailer is going to be like the final girl Mm -hmm. or the main heroine of the movie. And at the beginning of the movie, you know, they are kidnapped and they're left in this field and they have these gags in their mouth. And this sort of very like handsome man helps get the gag out of her mouth. And they kind of exchange this like look where you think, oh, this is going to be like a sort of subplot of the movie. This is going to be this romance arc. And then 30 seconds later, she just gets her head blown off <laughs> out of nowhere. And, 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 and the way they made that really effective was by, do, by persuading Emma Roberts to do it because she was the most famous person right, right, in the, right. in the and movie so and they killed her in the first two minutes of the movie. <laughs> right, exactly. 
Yeah. So that was really well done. The scene in the gas station was so great. Um, yeah, yeah. That was just so yeah, fantastic. I love that. that was one of my yeah. favorite sequences of the movie. So they sort of think that they escape. They find a barbed wire fence. They cross the street. They have a gas station that they think is there that they can go in and help. And of course, the, the sort of old mom and pop uh, you know, owners of the gas station are part of the plot to round these people up and murder them. And it was so funny, the line where he is asking them for help because he he, he has a gun to their to their head because he doesn't know if he could trust them, really. And so they kind of know that they're in a bit of hot water. Like, the the, the, the mom and pop owners, they, they, they don't feel like these people are desperate coming for help because they have a good gun to their head. So, like, they know there's yeah. some doubt in their mind that they have to keep this con going. And then when the guy says he has seven guns and, and the old woman says... What do you need seven guns for? <laughs> and he says, "What the fuck did you just say?" Like she, like they just can't help but get that dig in. Like it's a reflex right. when a liberal hears yeah. that somebody has seven <laughs> guns, they have to just say, "Now what do you need that for?" Even though she knows she shouldn't, it's like involuntary. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and, and so it was. It was very, very funny in that way, and really, I thought just super cool. That was one of my favorite sequences. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was a funny, clever movie throughout. Um, I appreciated that it wasn't, um, it wasn't exactly kind to either side. Like it didn't, it didn't try to naively pretend, no, there aren't Pizzagate, Red State conservatives out there spreading insane theories who believe insane things a lot of these characters not all of them but a lot of them are portrayed as being that way and as is revealed in the course of the movie they were selected specifically for that quality so of course they would they would have that quality um but at the same time it's i mean i can't honestly think of another movie that's even dealt with this subject of of this liberal loathing and hatred of white rural working class people. I, I can't think of a movie that's even dealt with the subject. And in the course of dealing with that, they don't come off well either. And the whole, the, uh, the whole thing is, is really done with a great sense of humor um, and, and a real, you know, what, what I would call a house style of Bloom House, like a real embrace for a certain fun camp element that keeps it light and keeps it out of being preachy. You know, it's a, it's a fun movie to watch. I would think no matter what your politics are, you could appreciate this movie, except maybe if you're a liberal who hates rural white people. <laughs> well, even then, there's <laughs> things to like about it. I mean, most of them die. Uh, most of the rural white people That's true. get what's coming to them, you know. Um, but, you know, it's funny because you, you mentioned that uh, the sort of rural white folks who were selected to be mowed down in this sort of game situation uh, were picked out specifically because they were on to what they thought was a real conspiracy to do the very thing that ends up happening to them. This was a very clever handling right. of this yeah. because... Yeah. What they do is, so the, the idea is that there are these people out there who think 
that there is this thing called Manorgate where, you know, rich liberals, you know, round up these, you know, white working class folks and bring them in and hunt them down for fun the way, you know, Dick Cheney shoots little birds, you know, in the (laughs) controlled environments. Um, And so they end up thinking that this is real or they think this is real. The liberals, you see at the beginning of the movie, this like text exchange between these wealthy, well-educated, you know, Warren-supporting liberal types, and they are joking about Manorgate. They had not devised it yet. It's a, it was like a sarcastic in-joke. They say, could you believe what our rat-fucking, or our rat-fucker-in-chief said this morning, and that was a reference to Donald Trump, and they all have their two minutes of hate on the text message where they say, you know, how awful he is. And then they joke. They just say jokingly, well, luckily Manorgate is coming up so we can round them up and kill them in reference to an online conspiracy theory. Now, of course, at that time, there was no Manorgate, but they get in trouble, right, from the, right, the companies they work for fired. Yeah, basically, they, basically say, they, all, they all get canceled. Right, they all get canceled because this exchange leaks and they decide that in retaliation for this they're actually going to make the conspiracy real and actually carry out this thing so yeah it's a b-movie sort of campy concept but the thing that i think that symbolizes very well is that yeah you can call these pizzagate people crazy and paranoid for thinking that this stuff actually exists but they're not crazy necessarily for thinking that these liberal elites would do that to them if they thought they could, right? Like, they're not actually paranoid for thinking, like, they're not overestimating the level of hatred and contempt that is felt for them by these people in power. The difference is they don't actually proactively do it, right? But but there is a kernel of truth in there, which is that these people hate you enough to do this if they thought they could get away with it. Well, this this is actually... My hesitation, my only hesitation about uh, reforming the Electoral College, the Electoral College is doing what it was designed to do, to make sure that the urban uh, population didn't wind up dominating the countryside. Um, When I look at how liberals talk about those people, I'm afraid of what they would do if they didn't have to worry about the Electoral College. Well, that's their fantasy, that they it, it and that's is. one of the things that they were so upset about like in the scene where uh oh name flew out of my mind boys don't cry million dollar baby Hillary Swank Hillary Swank thank you it just flew out of my head for a second there in the scene where she finds out that she is fired. Which, which, which she, uh, she was having a ball with that role, I thought. Oh, yeah, no, she actually, yeah, she actually was <laughs> quite good in it. Um, but when she finds out that she's fired, I forget, like, her boss says something to the effect of, like, you upset a lot of people. And she's like, well, I upset, what do you mean I upset a lot of people? I upset these people, right? Right. I upset right. these people, and they just, they hate that, Anything these people think matters in any way. Right. Like, I am right. so above right. being affected in any way by the way these deplorables view the world. And so, yeah, when it comes to, you know, national popular vote versus electoral college, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, they don't want people in Wyoming to have any 
control over national politics whatsoever. Yes, and that's that's why I can't completely get on board with reforming the Electoral College, because when you look at why the liberals want to do it, that's why. Well, I would they actually... Want to, they to, want to completely disempower the middle of the country. I would it, reform it. It, it, it is not, their fantasy. Okay, so now see how, how many of the people in the audience thought this would become an Electoral College talk but see that's that's good well that's well, it, well it, it 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 is related i mean the, oh, this this movie as i say i can't think of another movie that even addressed this subject i'll give you a great example and this this i brought up this movie in the exchange i put up a post where i was drawing attention to how you know the media is basically covering people who don't wear masks as rural white people and it's really not the case. I could stick a I could stick a phone out my window right here in Harlem across the street from a park and produce a video any weekend of of the the now infamous Missouri pool party. I could give you the same exact footage any weekend. You go ride down to the village, ride around McDougal Street, ride around Houston Street. You're going to see all these Wall Street motherfuckers outside the bars, same shit, and you don't see it. And I got enormous pushback on that from liberals. And they would show me an article that portrayed this in an article. And I'd say, okay, but give me an equivalent to the coverage the Missouri pool party got. I'm not saying there's no coverage of any other non-mask wearing people. But A, they get a big hard on if it's rural white people. Like, they go after that in a way they don't when it's a party on a street in Astoria. Uh, Two, when have you ever seen a meme about people not wearing masks in Central Park? I've never seen a meme generated by liberals about people not wearing masks in Central Park. Every meme I've ever seen about people not wearing masks was a rural white person right, saying like something some, stupid right. some, some in, toothless in the Floridian in a Wendy's cursing out the cashier because she wants them to wear a mask or something. Yeah, exactly. So it's also, you know, in, in, I mean, something of the media's defense, they're a business, you know, they're going to focus on what gets clicks. And that's what the liberals want to read about. They want to read about the, the, the toothless guy who, you know, doesn't believe in mask wearing because COVID is a conspiracy and they don't want to talk about the street party in Inwood with the strippers that went on a week ago. <laughs> just just a, right. just a few miles from me. Um, but this wound turned into a whole conversation about whether this phenomena of liberals behaving this way in regards to rural white people specifically even existed. Like, the person I was talking to was very much somebody who pushes that. And the lack of self-awareness was kind of fascinating. Like, it really made an argument that they don't do that. Well, this movie deals with a lot of that, too. I mean, in terms of just a lack of self-awareness, like, these, you know, these people who are out there hunting down other people in, you know, very over-the-top, almost comically brutal ways sometimes, you know, they will then, like, snipe at each other 
you know, for using a wrong gender pronoun or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like they will then try to be like, you know, like the one guy says, guys, guys, calm down or something. And she says, guys, he's like, oh, sorry, I gendered it. That yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. So, no, the movie uh, does. Well, 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 actually, I mean, it's very, I wish this movie had gotten a real theatrical release because with everything that happened to this movie, I mean, this movie was like fucking cursed. Um, it's hard to gauge what the reaction to it is because it just kind of disappeared into video on demand. Yeah, this is the kind of movie you would definitely want to watch in a crowded theater. Um, really anywhere. I mean, it would be interesting just as a social experiment to watch it in like New York City. It would be interesting as a social experiment to watch it in Nebraska or like a place up here where I live, which is pretty much half and half. You know, it would be nice to see a mixed audience of, you know, half libs and half, you know, MAGA people go into the theater. Well, and, well, and but, well but you I know mean, what? They kind of they kind of did that because they did after these shootings. They had test screenings to see if the movie was actually going to bother people. And they had mixed audiences politically. And not only did people not have a negative reaction, according to them, when they did their questions of the audience afterwards, they didn't quite understand the questions. Like, they didn't understand why the movie would be offensive. They didn't understand why they were even being asked that. So, you know, I mean, the controversy around it again, I mean, it was from people who never saw this fucking movie. I think if this movie had just dropped without any real advanced publicity, I don't know that there'd be a controversy about it. Yeah, because you know what it is? It it goes so directly at the sort of woke culture that it's almost like a, a diehard wokester really couldn't even be offended by it because it's so in your face. Like, it's, it, like there's something where it's like if something is so provocative on its face then there's nothing really for them to be offended about because the thing is so much of woke culture is deciphering what you think another person means when they say something, right? It's like, you know, if if a person, you know, accidentally lets slip the phrase those people, you know, the, the woke person takes such joy in saying, what do you mean those people? You know, like, aha, they're, they're like a, detective in the room we're like aha you said something that's revealing of what an evil person you are and i'm gonna prove (laughs) how good a person i am by calling you out for it whereas with this movie just goes right into it like there's a great scene where the liberals are sort of plotting this thing and they say okay they're they're going through like a sort of like powerpoint thing about who they're gonna round up and they put an image of you know the fat white guy who has a podcast about the show Mm. and then they have the main character and then they have this african-american man and they're like Oh no no we we can't do that <laughs> we can't round up a black <laughs> yeah. guy and then the yeah. other guy says something to the effect of like well if we do it only to white people that's kind of bad too right like they're yeah, right. so obsessed with <laughs> inclusivity and diversity that no matter what the li- like we can't have a list of anything without a person of color on it even if it's a list of people we're gonna round up and murder <laughs> yeah, yeah. we still have to be inclusive and diverse about who we choose for that and so it it hits that so hard and so directly that I don't even think a lot of these woke scolds would really take any pleasure in raising hell about it. Well, there, there's another reason, though. You know, I was I was watching a fascinating interview 
that Matt Taibbi was doing with what's this guy's name? Weinstein, the guy, the professor yeah, I think his who name got is Eric kicked. Weinstein. Yeah, Eric Weinstein. Yeah, it's a great, great, great interview. It was like a ninety-minute back and forth between the two of them about cancel culture, and you know, basically Weinstein was saying, you know, this started in academia, and I was I tried to warn everybody that it was going to come for you. And, you know, because Taibbi's talking about how now this cancel culture, woke culture is exploding in the media. And, you know, of course, Taibbi's perspective is this is the worst place that could be afflicted with this disease. Because what, what it throws out all previous standards of reporting when you, when you start to impose right. these woke concepts to journalists and tell them they have to report in a certain way like this. And basically the argument I'm seeing start to emerge from, from really the forces that are trying increasingly to fight against this is um, this whole woke thing is really the professional managerial class trying to seize power from the old elites it's them trying to gain control of the institutions that they uh, traditionally have been kind of middle management participants in. Right, exactly. Right? right, the professional managerial class, they have not been the CEOs. They've been the pencil pushers. And it's, it's them trying to create a framework by which they can seize power away from the people who've traditionally run these institutions. And uh, I, I think that's a good insight. You know, if you create this very arcane kabuki of behavior that whose, whose terms are flexible enough that nobody can really meet it 100%, you can cancel anybody, right? Correct. And so I think the challenge then becomes, and it's a very important task, that we need all hands on deck for, because I make this argument, I try to make this argument as best I can, but this argument does get undermined by certain poor and working class people who get absorbed into this woke culture, which is we have to make, we have to draw a line and say that these PMC wokesters who are just using this as a hustle, basically, they are not what we would consider on the left and to the extent that there that that the left can be linked to this, it, we're never going to gain power, right? Because yep. because yep. and and the sort of cruelty of that is that I don't really consider this a left phenomenon. I think it's a it's a bizarre cultural phenomenon, um, and in in this case, like you just said very well, you know, this is a way for the pencil pushers to take over. Um, you know, there, there's nothing really empowering about this to actually disenfranchise people. And, oh, that, and, that and so, was... And so that becomes a real challenge. And it's a point that, like I said, I think I've made pretty well on certain occasions, but it is undermined by certain realities that are out there, you know. Uh, go ahead. Uh, th this is what actually, uh, this is why I brought it up. One of, the, one of the points Taibbi keeps hitting on about this movement is it's a movement unlike 
the previous major left movement, the 60s, 70s counterculture. It's a movement without art, music, and particularly comedy. Right. Because comedy requires dredging up things that might make us feel uncomfortable and allowing us to talk about them or connect to them collectively, right? A movement that is so obsessed with policing language and behavior cannot generate comedy, not comedy that anyone's going to be interested in. And, and we see a parallel in this. Name all of the great uh, nightclub comics of the Soviet Union. <laughs> okay, there was, the Soviet Union produced no comedy. If, if you watch the movies that the Soviet Union produced, they're the most boring movies you've ever seen in your life. Well, they're this very, is the old very, saying that you can't have a revolution without dancing. Well, that's it. And if you do, it looks like that. Um, so this movie... The woke people, they almost have to ignore it if they see it because Taibi's point was as soon as you start really making fun of these people and it was kind of his prayer that eventually you were going to get a genius like Richard Pryor who was going to figure out how to do it and just be too good at it to be cancelable. And... He, his, his hope is that's going to be the end of it because this kind of movement cannot survive lampooning. It, it cannot survive being laughed at. Right, right, exactly, exactly. I, I mean, look, you see that on display in Hollywood itself. That's why I wrote an article way back, and I know you liked that one. It was after the Golden Globes where uh, Ricky Gervais roasted them. You know, and they couldn't take oh, a joke. Oh, that was awesome. They, that was awesome. They could not take a joke <laughs> about Felicity Huffman serving 11 days of a 14-day jail sentence for defrauding her kids into some elite college, whatever it was. Like, she had to serve 11 days in jail for that. Which, what she did, you would think that would be very anti-woke, wouldn't it? Well, right. well, yeah, right. Like, exactly. Why wouldn't you be on the? Why wouldn't you be on the comedian's right, side? Right, but you couldn't even. Right, and they couldn't take his side in that. Um, which is why, yeah, no, and, and but there needs to be a, a, a clear line drawn between what these people represent and what an actual working class, diverse left that is actually committed to the actual empowerment of disenfranchised people, uh, th th those have to be clearly separated, and mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, you know, we're 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 doing our small part here. Chapo Trap House, those motherfuckers at Chapo Trap House. Yeah, here. This is our. See, we have no budget. We have no PR budget here. So our our the the only way we could take the next step in terms of gaining notoriety is to provoke a feud with Chapo Trap House. Uh, we're, but <laughs> which we're diligently trying to do. Right. I I to I I, I I I ran I ran down one of those guys and I totally did a ring and run on him. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, and I left I left a box with dog with flaming dog shit on the stoop and he and he stamped it out. I'm gonna drop I'm gonna drop the video on YouTube next week. <laughs> no, but what they do is very valuable in that way too. They're the dirtbag left. That should be that should be a bumper sticker. No left but the dirtbag left.
That's not bad, actually. Yeah, that's good because Rich, that's well, hey, hey, Keaton, that's an angle. You know, you have uh, you have merchandising, marketing experience. Yeah. You should make it and sell it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm serious. No, maybe we should. We, you know, we we have you can sell shit on Facebook. I know they have like a shop feature or something like that. Yeah, yeah maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll do obnoxious some merch. left merch. Yeah, that, that could be something. Um. Anyway, final thoughts on the hunt. I I cannot recommend this movie highly enough. I I think it is very very much of its moment, and um, it's it's really going head on at a lot of what's happening in the culture right now, in a way. And this is what's great about this kind of horror. It's taking it on in a way that I don't think you really could in any other genre. You, you need a little of the fantastical. You need a little of the absurd sometimes to really get at the truth. Yeah, I would say that's, that's right. And I almost would even not even... Like, if I, if I could categorize this movie, it's really more of a dark comedy than an actual horror movie. Like, yeah, you're not going to really, have... It's, dar- it's dark movie. satire. Yeah, it's a yeah. dark, violent uh, piece of satire and really, really well done. And I'm glad you recommended it to me because I was on the fence of whether I was, it was worth seeing. But... It's very good. I I I read I read that plot synopsis and I was all in. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how how long ago did you see it? I I just saw it last week. Yeah, because you just you just texted me about it like last week because I know it's been streaming. Look, since I March. I didn't I didn't want I didn't want to see it bad enough to pay twenty dollars for it when they first dropped. It right, you have to wait demand. for it. To I was play. waiting for the price to drop. Yeah, and I would Once say I, you know. The- <laughs> That would actually be a good rating system for, like, you know, a sort of uh, anarcho-communist podcast. We should not rate it in terms of stars. We should rate it in terms of how much money you'd be willing to pay. (laughs) (laughs) So I would give this movie, yeah, I would give this movie $7.99. I say if I paid $7.99 for it, I would feel like I got my money. Now, I paid half that, so I beat the system. But I would say if I paid $8 for this, I would feel like I got my money's worth. But <laughs> I I I'd give it an I'd give it an eight. I'd give it an eight dollar eight dollar price. An eight dollar even. So we're one penny apart. So yeah, we can parse yeah. that another time. We we have a disagreement, Gene. Right, we have a disagreement. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All righty, folks. Well, thank you very much for listening. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter. Follow the podcast on Anchor, where this podcast now is on every major podcast player. Also, check out the main show, of course, dodissidents.com. Check us out at patreon.com front slash dodissidents. Check out the blogs, the new website, uh, and uh, hope you guys enjoy all of our stuff. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.